wake your soul up in the morning, okay? The Spirit of the Lord is here. I, I love that song, and I love how at the end of that song, y'all repeat in unison after the worship leader, and we're declaring that Jesus, there's nobody like you. So with that frame, with that spirit, let us read Psalm 133 to declare the blessing and the anointing of unity over this service. Let's read together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, 
running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Let us pray here, friends. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there's a sweet anointing here. There's a sweet place of unity. And because we're lifting and magnifying the name of Jesus, no other God but Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit, we lift up that precious and holy Messiah, Jesus. And we thank you for his love and his service on behalf of humanity. God, even right now in our brokenness, in our frailty, in our weakness, we say that we need you, Lord. We can't do life on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the touch of the Lord. And God, we need your wisdom to help guide us. So God, I pray for each and every person in this congregation as they lift up their voice to sing songs of, of praise and of victory today. May you fill them. May you meet them. May you touch them right where they're at. Speak to our hearts, Lord God, in a special and we ask for this touch in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we say, amen. Let's keep worshiping the Lord here.
Jesus Christ, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and blameless before your sight.
18 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe the righteous run into it and are safe friends we come into this place from a thousand different directions and places with all variety of things happening to us and we gather for a multiplicity of reasons but the main reason we gather is to collectively lift our eyes to Jesus. To be reminded like a lost ship in a dark night. To be drawn to the lighthouse that is Jesus. And you know the beauty about that image is it doesn't matter where in the ocean the ship is. If they can see the lighthouse, they can get home. Friends, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what you're walking through. But Jesus is being proclaimed in this place. And if you can cling to the name and the person of Jesus, you will be safe. It doesn't mean your life will be easy. It means that he will be with you in the midst of everything. So, Lord, I pray for my friends here. I pray for New Life Midtown and all that these groups of people represent, all of their families their businesses, their finances, their relationships, friends, situations, their neighborhoods. And I pray for the closeness of Jesus through the power of the Spirit to be present in their lives right now. I pray that they would grasp hold of the name of Jesus in the midst of whatever going they're going through. That they would cry out and say, Jesus, be near. Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. Come and be with me. Give me guidance, deliverance, Jesus. Give me what I need to be faithful to you in the moment. Just say the name, Jesus. 
you know, three of our four songs today reminded us of what we believe to be true about Jesus. And that's more than just good doctrinal teaching. It's reminding us, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes to where your help comes from. Your help doesn't come from beneath the troubled waters. Your help comes from the Lord who is above all powers, as we just sang. Amen. Well, Jesus, we believe all that we have sung about, and we believe that you are near to every one of us in what we are walking through in this moment. And now we respond in a unique way through our giving. We respond to Jesus we already have through our singing We will come to the table in a few moments, but now we respond with our giving. Maybe you gave throughout the week, but metaphorically, you're giving in this moment, okay? And we're going to pray the prayer that we pray every week that reminds us that we give back to God because the world and the powers that are at work in the world want our fingers to be attached to everything God gives us so that we will be tricked into believing that our help actually comes from those things and not from the hand of God. And so we pray this prayer weekly to remind our hearts to release from the things that God has given us because he is the abundant giver of every good gift. All right, let's pray it together. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceit of greed and earthly riches and teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen and amen. And Lord, we pray let it be so among us. All right, if your children are with you, Place your hands on them or just grab them and get them close. We're going to release them and send them to Children's Church this morning with a blessing. But we also, we pray the Lord's Prayer with them and over them. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Let's join together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Our children, we bless you and send you to learn with open minds and open hearts of all that God has for you today. All right, Midtown friends and family, take just a minute and greet each other in the name of the Lord.
good morning, everybody. I feel like we've all learned by now. Like that video plays, everyone's like in their seats ready, just like eager to hear the announcements for the week, right? <laughs> yes. Well, good morning. My name is Lauren Oskam. I'm on staff here at New Life Midtown. And if you're new with us here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming for a couple of weeks, and you want to learn more about who we are, there's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. You can scan that with your phone. Or if you're feeling a little old-fashioned today, you can fill it out and bring it to the Welcome Center. We would love to connect with you. And we have some great things coming up here. So on the, in the same vein of being connected, we have so many events coming up. Well, number one, we have table groups. We soft-launched table groups last week, and we only have two groups that still have spots in it. So... If you did not sign up last week, be sure to run out into the foyer after service and sign up. Because once those are full, that's it, unfortunately. But we'll still have classes going Wednesday night and plenty of opportunities. Like this Friday, Women in the House, we have a women's gathering here at the church on Friday. So please come out. Thank you, Christy. Ladies, come on. If you haven't been to one of our women's events, they are so good. That is the place where we really get to connect with one another. We don't get that opportunity on the Sunday morning. So come out to that event. And men, we have also opened registration for the men's retreat in September. That's right. But we only have limited spots. So if you want to be a part of that weekend, that's going to be powerful. Pastor Jade can tell you it's going to be powerful. Sign up. And if money is an issue, just come talk to one of the staff members, Pastor Jonathan or Pastor Jade, and we can get you a, we can work that out for you. But please sign up. We're all about sign-ups in this church. Amen? Now, without further ado, after three long weeks apart, let's welcome back Pastor Jade Duncan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's good to be in the house today. How's everyone doing? Man, it's good to see you. How many of you are here, and this is the first time you've been here within three weeks, like you have no idea who this guy talking to you is? Let me just see your hands. All right. Welcome, welcome. It's good to see you guys. It's good to meet you. I hope I get to meet you after service. Listen, just for the Duncan family, for the 22 years that we've been in ministry and the 16 that we've had kids, we've just learned, man, we've got to be able to pull away. If we're going to give you our best, if we're going to give you energy and strength in life, and most important, here's what we've learned. If we're going to see our kids anymore, y'all, man, I'm telling you, if I'm going to sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with my kids, I got to get them out of this state. Because the moment we got back, it's football practice and another football practice and student council meetings. But I'm telling you, we had a great time. We went up to the river for two solid weeks up in North Idaho and just played. I played so hard, I hurt my foot. Thankfully, it's not broken, but I'm hobbling a little bit. Pray for your pastor. But we had a great, great time up at the river. But most importantly, here's what I want to announce to you. Guys, listen, this church does not rise and fall on Jade Duncan or Christy. We have an incredible staff. Pastor Jonathan, bring in the heat, man. Thank you so much, Pastor Jonathan. I'm telling you, it's a little sad because he's like literally one of my favorite human beings on the planet. And he's one, of my great, he's one of my favorite teachers. He's one of my favorite preachers. He's one of my favorite worship leaders. I've got several, but he's up there on the list. And, man, it is a gift to have this man in the house. Uh, Pastor Michelle Anthony did a phenomenal job. Uh, and the rest of the staff just holding it down. By the way, if you haven't seen our little living room area out there, man, I encourage you guys, go find a friend, hang out there at the couches. Uh, Lauren, and Ray, uh, Lauren and Martha just made that space beautiful. 
beautiful. And for those of you guys who've been here for a few weeks or a few months, you might notice the foyer has a little facelift, right? Huh? Come on. Uh, it's beautiful. So we're just going to take our time just making this place more and more beautiful, more and more attractive, a place where you can be proud of and a place where you can be proud to invite your friends. All right? Hey, I want to give you a quick update. When we were gone, we had an annual backpack bash. We partnered with a ministry in town called Cause I Love You. Cause I Love You is a city-reaching, kingdom-centered ministry. They work together with churches to unite the church to love the city. In fact, I believe their mission statement is to unite the city in the love of God. And it's just an amazing ministry that they are. And we've been partnering with Cause I Love You now for several years. Well, Stu Davis, the director there, threw down the gauntlet. And he says, I want to help 12,000 kids. 12,000 kids in our city get a backpack and school supplies and help relieve families. Hey, listen, if you don't have kids, I'm just letting you know right now. Man, getting kids back to school is expensive, y'all. It's costly. And, uh, and we're talking about, you know, just regular, good, middle-class folks. But there are people all across our city, and it is challenging to help their kids get to school. So we participated. We helped. I believe Midtown brought about 200 backpacks. Next year, we're going to bring 1,000. I'm just letting you know right now. So, like, you got 11 months and whatever, 20, 30 days to uh, start accumulating backpacks. We're going to throw down. We're going to show up. We're going to show cause I love you in our city that we're here to be a blessing. We're in the city for the sake of the city. But I'm telling you today, man, 11,500 backpacks from 30 churches across our city. People serving. Yeah, come on. Give the Lord a hand today. People serving. People giving. People donating. And I read pages and pages and pages of testimonies. Last week I was sitting in a board meeting at Cause I Love You, and there were seven pages full of testimonies of parents that were saying thank you. We barely had enough money to put food on the table, let alone school supplies, and we could not have made this happen without you. I read a testimony from a family that just came here from Ukraine, escaping the crisis overseas. Didn't know, like they're just getting their feet on the ground, and they found out about this, and Cause I Love You is providing backpacks and school supplies for their children. It's a beautiful thing. So I want to say thank you, and I want to celebrate the Lord. It's a good thing. All right, guys, we are starting a new series today. All of our New Life congregations are preaching on a series called Kings and Kingdoms, and we're going to locate ourselves primarily in the book of 1 Kings. But I'm going to shift, I'm going to kind of like switch it up a little bit, and we're actually going to start our series today in the book of Judges. I'm going to start in the last chapter of the book of Judges. We're going to go through a little bit of a genealogical review, and then we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel. Because to me, picking up the story in 1 Kings is like picking up right in the middle of a great movie. You have no idea really what's going on. Who are all these people that they keep referencing? So today we're going to, we're going to really land in 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you right now to go with me to the book of Judges. We're going to go to Judges chapter 21, and we're going to read the last few verses of this chapter. But before we do that, let me just give you a big, big, big elementary review of what's happening up until the moment of Judges. So in Genesis, God shows up to a man by the name of Abram, and God shows up to this man and says, I'm going to make you a promise that I'm going to bless you and your family, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through your line. Abram's an old man. His wife's an old lady. And they don't have children. God is in the business of doing impossible things. 
And so God shows up to Abram and he says, I'm going to give you a son, gives him a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac has a son by the name of Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons form a nation. That's the book of Genesis. All right? As Exodus begins, this nation that is formed out of those 12 sons, they have kids, and their kids have kids, and their kids have kids, and all of a sudden they turn into this big, massive nation. And then they're thrown into uh, oppression underneath the Pharaoh of Egypt, and God raises up a man by the name of Moses, let my people go, confronts Pharaoh and the political powers of that day by the power of God, and delivers that nation of Israel, those 12 brothers, out of bondage. That's the book of Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God is now teaching, imagine that you have lived under very real oppression in slavery for 400 years. You were told what to do. Your grandparents were told what to do. Your great-grandparents were told what to do. You don't know how to take care of yourself, basic hygiene. So God is now establishing a people of sons and daughters. And this is what Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy are all about. Because he's preparing them to go in and possess land and become owners. They're not, he doesn't want them to be renters anymore. He wants them to be owners. And there's a whole different level of maturity and skill set and life management and self-government that comes from being an owner than just being a tenant. And God is in the business of teaching us how to be owners. That's a whole other message for a whole other time. All right? So now God is preparing his people to enter into a land of promise. And he raises up another young leader by the name of Joshua. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. And they begin to systematically kind of take ownership and receive possession of the land. That's the book of Joshua. Joshua tees up a book by the name of Judges. And Judges opens up with one of the saddest statements I think I've ever read in the Bible. Judges tells us, as, it's, as it opens up, it tells us that there's an entire generation that raised, is raised up. And they do not know the God of their fathers and they do not know what God has done for their fathers or for their grandparents. Now, let's just pause real quick because I'm skipping a lot of things. What I want you to hear in that statement is this. That somewhere at the family table, there were moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas that had seen the power of God split open the Red Sea so that millions of people could walk through and be delivered from Pharaoh. And somehow they forgot to pass it on to their kids. These are the same people that saw water come out of rocks because they were living in a desert for 40 years, and somehow they forgot to pass those stories on to their kids. This is the same people that had manna, heavenly food, come down from heaven and magically appear on the ground every morning when they woke up to sustain them, and that happened for 40 years, and you forgot to pass that on to your children? Guys, listen, the faith is a multi-generational faith. And whether you have biological children or not, what I'm here to announce today is that it is the responsibility of each previous generation to steward and cultivate and protect the reality of the faith of God, to nurture that, build that, strengthen that, own that, and then hand that off to another generation like a baton in an eternal relay race. So that every generation behind us doesn't have to start the race a step behind. All right? They can be pacing with the pace 
of God in the generations of the earth. And so in Judges, there's an entire generation that's raised up, and they don't know the law of God, the word of God, the acts of God, or the person of God. And so consequently, what we find is we find hundreds of years of a cycle of the children of Israel disobeying and rebelling against God, falling into idolatry, and then falling into captivity with their enemies. And listen, the enemies of God in human beings, they are brutal. They are brutal. They oppress the people of God, and they they squeeze them to a place where the children of Israel cry out, and they say, God, have mercy on us. We're, We're sorry. We repent. God raises up a leader. That leader is uh, called a judge or a prophetic deliverer, and they lead the people of Israel into repentance, out of oppression, but then they experience a season of prosperity and peace, and they fall right back into it. And this happens over and over and over and over again. And we got to pay attention because if we're not careful, this will actually be a picture of the Christian life for us. That this will be a picture of the Christian life where we find ourselves in seasons of passivity, in seasons of compromise, in seasons where it seems like everything's fine, bills are paid, no one's sick, I don't really have to press in and dig into God. And then we just, we lose that tenacity, we lose that hunger, and we lose some ground in God. We start compromising a little bit, and before we know it, we're right back in to making treaties and agreements with sin. And then we find ourselves just indifferent and not caring about the things of God, then we find ourselves in oppression. And then we find ourselves saying, God, this this stinks. I don't want this. We cry out in repentance, and then God comes and he delivers us. But you have to be careful about the seasons where there's no opposition. You have to be careful about the seasons in your life where it seems like everything's great. Because those are the seasons where the enemy wants to lull us to sleep and to be passive and to be just friendly with temptation and friendly with sin. Let me show you what this ends up, the very last chapter of Judges. This is atrocious, guys. Out of these 12 tribes of Israel, there's one particular tribe where they didn't show up to battle on a particular day. And all the 11 tribes, they have it out for the tribe of Benjamin. And they make this oath. They make this promise to themselves before God where they say, we make an oath to God that we're not going to let any of our daughters marry any of the sons of Benjamin. Which means that over the course of time, Benjamin will just essentially kind of die out. And then this begins to grieve the people and it begins to grieve the elders. But they realize we already made a promise before God that we're going to let this this tribe of our, our brothers, we're going to let them die out. So they said, we've got to work our way out of this somehow. So then they connived this plan where the elders of Israel come to some of the young men of Benjamin. And they say, hey, listen, this is the only way we know how to get out of this. Why don't you come and just kidnap the daughters of the other tribes so that they're not breaking their oath and then you can sustain your family line? That's a brilliant plan, right? Wrong. Right? This is what happens when we, make, when we make oaths that are not in alignment with the purposes of God, and then we operate in human wisdom. So listen to how the book of Judges ends, and I want you to feel really depressed after you read this. All right, here we go. Judges. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm here to help you. Judges chapter 21, verse 23. So that is exactly what the Benjamites did while the young women were dancing 
Each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Guys, this is human trafficking. Hello? Then they returned to their inheritance like nothing else happened, and they rebuilt the towns, and they settled in them. This is how spiritually destitute Israel is in this hour. Look at verse 24. At that time, the Israelites left that place. They went to their own tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. Verse 25. And in those days, Israel had no king, so everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did whatever they thought was best. Everyone did whatever was in their heart to do. By the way, moms and dads, the absolute worst counsel you could give to your children is just follow your heart. Follow your heart. Listen, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. All right? We don't need our kids following their hearts. We need people following the heart of God. We need people following the heart and the wisdom of God because Apart from the government of the Holy Spirit and the saving power of God, everything in your heart is directly opposed to the heart of God. There is nothing inside of me that wants what God wants outside of God being inside of me and saving my life. All right, that's another message for another time. But what I want you to see is at the end of Judges, everyone is just kind of, it's every person to themselves. And when that, it's Lord of the Flies. It's absolute chaos and they're just, do, they're just living according to their own sinful desires. So then we jump over to the book of, book of 1 Samuel. And again, what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself into the cultural setting of where Israel is at as a nation. It's dark. It's dark. There are no sport, spiritual uh, morals to ground the people. There is no idea of what truth is. There is no God consciousness. Sounds a little familiar to where we're at right now in some ways, if we're not careful, right? And so now we find 1 Samuel, which picks up the next chapter of Israel's story and history as a people. And I want to pray and I want to launch into this. Holy Spirit of the living God, we cry out to you today. And we ask you for wisdom. We ask you for heavenly wisdom. God, we ask you for the wisdom that is from above, that is pure. We ask you for the wisdom that is above, that is full of peace and mercy, that is impartial, that is sincere, that is full of good fruit. We ask, oh God, that your spirit would open up our eyes to see truth in our own life and in the culture around us. We ask, oh God, that you would keep our hearts tender, that we would... We would lean into the word of the Lord for our lives today. We would be shaped by the spirit of God and by the word of truth. And Father, we pray it tonight, today, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to read a big lengthy chunk of 1 Samuel chapter 1. Because before we get to 1 Kings, there are several really important historical pillars in Israel's story that we need to be aware of. And I want to start with this obscure woman by the name of Hannah. Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He was the son of Jeroham. He was the son of Elihu, was the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth. He was an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children. But Hannah had none. 
If you like to mark in your Bible or make underlines or just if you want to focus in on a really important concept or phrase in that verse, I want you to pay attention to the last line. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. And I want you to remember that in this particular time, in this culture, that a woman's identity and a woman's value was the ability to bear children to her husband and to make a fruitful contribution to the society. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it is what it was for that particular time in history. So here we have a woman who feels like she's valueless, who feels like she's worthless, who feels like she brings nothing to the table because her husband's other wife is having children and she's producing none. Let's look at the next verse. Year after year, say year after year. This is a very important phrase. How many of you guys are either now in situations or you have been in situations where there is no easy remedy? The family dynamics, the family history, the work situation, the health, medic, the medical complications that you're dealing with, uh, the, the, the level of debt, the financial mismanagement is so deep that you're not going to find your way out of this in a week or maybe a month or maybe not even a year. You're in the grind and you're in the pressure of the situation of life, and it may be year after year after year. This is what Hannah's experiencing. And I've got an assignment this morning to get you right into the soul of who Hannah is. I want you to feel what she feels today. I want you to, I want you to weep with Hannah. I want you to empathize with Hannah. But at the end of all this, I want you to see yourself in Hannah. So year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord, verse 4. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. All of her sons and daughters. It's not enough that I'm not where I want to be with the Lord right now. It's not enough that I've worked and I've struggled and I've scrapped and I've labored and I've put in the time and I've put in the energy and I'm not where I expect myself to be. But my rival is over there and it seems like they're prospering. You have to pay attention to the state of your soul, friends. You have to pay attention to where your focus and where your attention linger on when you find that you are in seasons of grief or disappointment or trial or trouble or adversity. Pay attention to where your eyes and your mind wander. What are you focusing on? Who are you giving the energy of your attention to? Look at the next verse. I love this. Verse 5. So he's given a particular portion to Peninnah and to all of their children. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. I want to announce to some of you today that right in the middle of whatever dark season you're facing, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. I know it might be hard to reconcile that. I know it might be hard to wrestle that down to the ground and go, well, why in God's name, if you love me, am I experiencing all of this? And the only thing at this moment on this side of eternity that I can tell you right now is that God's love doesn't mean that he fixes everything and it doesn't mean that he gets you an escape, get out of jail free card. It just means that he's with you. He is for you. He is feeling every ounce of grief and pain and confusion and anger that you're feeling and he's drawing near to you in the middle of that. And friends, listen to me, he's at work. 
He's doing something on your behalf that is so much bigger than you. It's bigger than your pain, and it's bigger than your story. It's bigger than what you and I cannot see. God is seeing all of it. And there might be things that he's doing in your pain that you may never see the fruit or the reward of. Come on, I just felt my help. Come on. Depending on how you lean into God in the middle of your struggle might determine the future and the destiny of people outside of your life. Maybe your children, maybe your grandchildren, maybe somebody else's children. Maybe somebody else's story is hanging in the balance on how you lean into God in the middle of your darkest hour. And what I want to announce to you over and over and over again is do not determine the love of God based on your pain. Do not define or determine the love of God for you or for anyone else around you based on your struggle, based on your betrayal, based on your confusion, based on your disappointment, based on your grief. The love of God is at work in your life, friend. The love of God is at work in your life. And God is working. He's sending favor your way. Let's look at the next verse here. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb... Ugh, this, this girl. I don't know who Peninnah is, but if I see her in heaven, I'm going to shake her a little bit. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate. Now, listen, that's one thing when you're provoking someone and you don't know what you're doing. We call those blind spots. We call those idiosyncrasies. Everybody's got them, right? But it's, one, it's another thing when you're provoking someone in order to irritate them. You ever been around someone like that? Like, you know what you're doing right now. You're wrong. You're dirty. That's ugly. That's Panina. Don't be a Panina. <laughs> Touch your neighbor and say, don't be a Panina. <laughs> Panina's just being a jerk right now. She's like, I got kids, and you don't. So sad. Stinks to be you. You want to come to the baby shower? This is Panina and this is Hannah. I had a lady come up to me after first service. She said, Pastor Jade, you preached my entire story. Nine years. Nine years. Nine years. Barren miscarriage. Barren miscarriage. Nine years. And again, it's God, God, seriously, it's not enough that I can't have a child. But then you put me right in close proximity with someone and probably in the same room. Huh? You know who's waking up in the middle of the night when Panina's got to breastfeed? It's Hannah. Hey, Hannah, can you, give me a, can you give me a hand with this real quick? You ain't got kids. Why don't you help me change your diapers? You ain't got kids. Why don't you watch them for a little bit while Elkanah and I go on a date? This is Hannah. And in some part of your life, I don't know what it is, but there is a Hannah inside of you that is experiencing or has experienced or will experience that same level of anguish. The Lord had closed her womb, and her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Verse 7, here's our phrase again. How long this go on, guys? Man, you know, like I got a, I got a decent amount of bandwidth. I got a decent amount of tolerance. I can put up with certain things for a certain amount of time. But, friends, when there's no end in sight... When there's no end in sight, that's the thing that messes with your faith. Is this ever going to change? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Is there a way out of this? Are the kids ever going to come back home? Where are they? I don't even know where they are, let alone whether or not they're going to walk through my doorstep again. 
I don't know, I'm just living in chronic pain. Every pill that we try doesn't seem to work out, trying to dial in all the medications. I'm going crazy over here, and year after year, and it seems like, God, I'm not making enough to to even meet my needs, let alone dig myself out of the debt that I pulled myself into, God, year after year. I got to get you into the reality of where Hannah's at, the hopelessness, the helplessness, the despair, that dark abyss where you literally just want to give up because it feels like every ounce of strength that you exert to help yourself move forward isn't doing anything at all, friends, and that is the definition of hopelessness year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, here she is again. Her rival provoked her until she wept and she would not eat. Now things are affecting me physically. I'm not just carrying this around in my mind. I'm not just frustrated internally. I can't even eat anymore. I've lost my appetite. The grief is starting to consume me. I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry at this woman over here. And listen, when you're in this place, friends, listen, one of the most important things that you can do is you have to fight for your heart. And it's exhausting. Just fighting for your heart to be clean. I want to be so angry at these people. I'm tired of forgiving over and over and over again. I forgive today. I wake up tomorrow, and there it is right there inside of me again. I hear their name. I see their face. I hear a story about them. I hear a decision that they made. I'm just frustrated all over again. What is that? you got to fight for your heart. Hannah had to fight for her heart. She had to fight to keep her heart clean. She had to fight to keep her heart free of bitterness and anger and jealousy and envy and slander, thinking murderous thoughts, probably. I wouldn't put it past her. Look at verse 8. This right here is the comic relief in the story. Whenever you watch some big heavy drama, there's got to be one character that gives you a little comic relief. This is my comic relief right here when I read this story. Verse 8, the husband. Typical, clueless. But her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Jeez, why don't you eat something? Why are you so sad? Like, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Wow, great job making this all about you, Elkanah. Your wife can't have kids, bro. This isn't your moment. Y'all, don't make things about you when somebody else is going through the hardest moment of their life. What about me, oh? What about me, Hannah? What about me, I got needs too. All right, we're going to fast forward that one. All the guys were like, we're not coming to men's retreat. Uh, I just think that's hilarious. Here's Elkanah. Uh, what about me? All right, bro, like be aware. Okay, be aware. All right, here we go. Verse 9. Once they had once, this is once, once, once upon a time, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. She stood up. Sometimes you just got to stand up. I'm done with this. I'm just done. I'm sick and tired of just sitting right here in the middle of, of just complaining, murmuring. I got to get, get up out of the pit of pity. Huh? I got to climb out of the pit of pity. Somebody just turn to your neighbor and look at them and say, stand up. Sometimes you got to stand up. Stand up. This is why the scripture tells us in Ephesians 6, having done all to stand, you got to stand. Huh? Right? Sometimes that's physical. Sometimes that's just in your spirit. That in your spirit, you got to stand up. 
You stand up like Jonathan says. You stand up and you lift up and you lift up your eyes unto the mountains and you say, I'm going to turn this thing. I'm going to lean into God. Because we have agency in the midst of our adversity. Oh, we have agency in the middle of our adversity. So she stands up. Now watch this. Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. He's sitting on his chair. He's sitting in his place of position. Be careful when you just assume that you know what's going on because you're sitting in the comfort of your seat of position. Sitting in his chair. This is my spot. This is where I sit. I know what's going on. All right? And then he watches what's happening with Hannah from his seat of position, his seat of authority. And don't take this negative and don't take this in some cultural weird way, but he's sitting in his seat of privilege. It's a privilege. I'm not talking about a 2023 social privilege. I am talking about an ancient Israel privilege where he has the privilege of not experiencing the pain and the grief of what this woman is walking through. So he has the privilege of assuming he knows what she's going through. He has the privilege of assuming she, he understands the pain. He has the privilege of assuming he knows why she's there to begin with. Let's look at the next verse. And in her deep anguish, this is the verse I want you to tattoo in your heart today. In her deep anguish, say in her deep anguish. There will come times in the Christian life where you will experience deep anguish. Human language does not give us the ability to communicate what this means. And the author of 1 Samuel is doing, I believe, a masterful job trying to help us understand the level of pain that Hannah is in year after year. Bitterness, frustration, resentment, confusion, anger, disappointment, penina, provoking over and over. And there is no sunlight to my dark night of the soul. And then to make matters worse, to throw salt right in the middle of this open wound, the pastor the priest, the person, the, the person who represents the spiritual authority. If there is any man in all of Israel who holds some measure of discernment to understand what God is up to, it should be Eli. And here's what Eli does. The advocate turns into the enemy. The advocate turns into the adversary. Right? The advocate turns into the accuser. And look at what Eli does. In her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, verse 11, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. We're going to come back to that. Look at verse 12. I need to talk about Eli. So as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. This is what you call watching without discerning. And you got to be careful about this as Christians and even more so as Christian leaders and people who have been given the beautiful privilege of sacred intimacy in people's life. When you see their pain, do not judge that pain. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And so Eli thought she was drunk. 
And what I think that is so fascinating here, just as a beautiful little sidebar, but do you guys remember a little incident that happened, uh, I don't know, around Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, right? I don't know, like this moment when people are standing up and they are praying with such a level of fervency in the Spirit of God, and what did all the people around them assume? You're drunk. There are some places in God that you will go to that nobody has a paradigm to understand. But I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm here to tell you, why do I keep saying this tonight? What is happening? I'm here to tell you today, God, are you prophesying three services? Lord, help. I am here to announce to you today, go there in God. Go there. It may not meet social convention. It may not meet religious convention. It may not meet theological convention. But there are some places that your pain will drive you to in the hidden caverns of God's heart that you cannot get to otherwise. There are some places in the heart of God that your pain will drive you to that you could not get to otherwise. And I want you to see again how Hannah's got to now fight again for her heart. She's got to forgive Peninnah over and over and over again. Every nasty word, every mean comment, every rude little Facebook post, right? Every gender reveal party, Hannah's got to forgive her. Then she has to forgive her husband, right, for being a knucklehead who can't understand what his wife is going through. Then now she has to forgive the religious structure. And I can't tell you how many people have walked into the doors of churches that have walked out because they have been misjudged, they've been ran off, and they've been stereotyped, and there have been no discernment. And we've been so quick to judge people based on what they're doing or their external appearances or where they're at in God. And there's been absolutely no patience in the process of people's pain. Friends, be careful that you don't ever give some trite, hollow, shallow, empty, harmful comment to someone when they're right in the middle of their greatest storm. It doesn't help. Let me, tell you how, let me tell you what you do. You close your mouth. Inside of you, you just say, Holy Spirit, help me hear, help me see, help me discern. Help me comfort, help me care. Help me come close. Help me enter into the pain. And we don't need Bible verses. And we don't need, uh, we don't need all these little, you know, cute cliches. We need you to get right in the middle of that and say, I'm going to stand with you, and I'm going to grieve with you, and I'm going to weep with you, and I'm going to hurt with you, and I'm going to stake myself to you, and you can borrow my faith, and I'm going to be as strong with you as I can possibly be, and I'm going to walk with you. That's what Hannah needed. She didn't need Eli to, to say, you know what, you need to stop. Get off the bottle, baby, okay? It's not that bad. Do you, do, you, do you know what the Bible says about alcohol anyways, Hannah? Do you know what? You know, you really shouldn't be drinking either, right? Do you know that? Like, come, are you serious? And this is what we've done. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, he had the audacity to say to her in verse 14, how, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. How long are you going to stay drunk? This was not the first incident that Eli had seen here in this level of distress. Look at that statement. How long are you going to stay drunk? Listen to the judgment in the tone. Listen to the insensitivity. I want you to go back here a couple of verses because I want to lean back in on this. Once you lean back in verse 10, I believe it is. 
In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed. Friends, what do you do in your deep anguish? What do you do in your deep anguish? What do you do when you're right in the middle of coworkers who are slandering your name and betraying you? I'm talking about the ones that you gave money to. I'm talking about the ones that you let sit at your table. I'm talking about the ones that you let stay in your home when things were breaking down around them and you helped them get on their feet. And in the moment where it benefited them best, they turned their back. I'm talking about those people. What do you do in your deep anguish? Am I talking to anybody today? What do you do? Because I'm here to tell you today, you can do one of two things. That you can sit right in the middle of that poison. You can sit right in the middle of that self-pity. You can sit in the middle of that seething anger. And that will take you down a particular direction. And if you go down that direction, you are going to disqualify yourself from the destiny of the purposes of God. Because God was doing something that Hannah was not even aware of. Watch this. I have no idea how God does this. But God, in his amazing sovereignty, is able to take one person's desire and one person's pain and pull that so close into who he is that he will actually meet his greatest desire and heal his greatest pain by moving in to help someone else meet their desire in the middle of their greatest pain. Hannah thought she just needed a son. God was looking for a prophetic voice that was going to rescue Israel out of Judges 21. That's, that's what God needed. I need a prophet, but it can't be any other prophet. I've tried it. I've sent judges. I've tried JQ. Uh, I've, I've tried Jephthah. I've tried Ehud. I, I've tried Samson. I've tried Deborah. I need a man who is going to cut through all of the immorality and the idolatry and the impurity and set something right in the spiritual atmosphere. And if I'm going to do this, I need someone soaking and saturating the womb of her belly so that someone that comes out of that has already got an anointing on them that is consecrated to me from day one. Moms and dads, never discount your prayer life for your kids. Never discount the power of a praying mom or dad who prays with pain. I'm not talking about cute prayers. I'm talking about the prayers that hurt you. The prayers that twist your intestines inside and out and they stab your heart because you care about this human being so much and you don't know about the future of their outcomes, but you are wailing before God himself so that God's purposes will be done in their lives. And when God can get a hold of an intercessor that will wrestle with God, God's purposes can be released in the earth. Let's keep reading here. Verse 15, I love Hannah so much. I got so much respect for this woman. And here's what I love about God. Don't misinterpret this, but it's just one of God's beautiful, sneaky, subversive ways. That before we have Solomon, and before we have Hezekiah, and Josiah, and before we've got David, do you know where all of this begins? It begins with a woman in her prayer closet. It begins with a woman. It begins with a woman that is on the margins of society. And she's not just a woman. She's a barren woman. It begins with a woman with a stigma. 
It begins with a woman who had a relationship with God. It begins with a woman who was desperate, and she took that desperation, and she didn't throw it out in the street. She threw it into her prayer closet, and she cast her pain into the hands of God. Oh, you got to see this. Look at how Hannah responds to, to Eli. Verse 15, she says, not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. Listen to that ownership. She's not, she's not a victim. She's not making excuses. She's not blaming Elkanah. She's not blaming Peninnah. She's not blaming the male patriarchy. She is assuming the reality of her pain. I am deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. So you're able to have agency over your story. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Friends, let me tell you. Let me tell you, honestly, probably what the only option that you have when everything's closing in and the oxygen is being let out. When the oxygen of your faith is slipping away and you feel like strength is escaping you, let me tell you, the only option that you really have if you want to make it, you've got to learn to pour your soul out to the Lord. You have to learn this. There are places in God that God will take you to and they are painful and they are scary, but he's there. That he's there. There are places that God will take you to in him where he will heal you and he will restore you and he will completely reorient and reform your entire life, but he's there. There are places in your story that he will take you back to that they are so scary because they are so painful, but he's there. And friends, I don't know if you've been at a place in your life where you have poured out your soul, but I'm telling you, if we're going to make it in the 21st century, God needs a church that knows how to take its pain and throw it at the feet of Jesus. We have got to stop sterilizing our pain. We have got to stop inoculizing our pain, anesthetizing our pain, justifying our pain, victimizing our pain, excusing away our pain, and saying, God, this right here is the deep, ugly, broken, complex reality of my pain, and I have no idea what to do with it, so I'm going to break it open like an alabaster box, and I'm going to throw it at your feet, and I'm going to ask you to come into my pain. So John came up to me after first service and gave me a word that I think is from God. He says, Jesus will take you places that you do not know how to go. Make sure I got this right. Nope. May Jesus go where I can't. That just sounds like a Sadron phrase. May Jesus go where I can't. There are some places that are inside of me. Guys, listen, that without God, I can't even go there. Right? They're too ugly. They're too harsh. They're too broken. They're too scary. I don't want to talk about them. I don't want to think about them. I want to ignore them. I want to act like they never happened to me. I want to act like I never happened to them. And Jesus will take you where you can't go by yourself. But you have got to allow your soul to trust God with your pain. In her deep brokenness, in her deep anguish, in her deep despair, in her deep disappointment, in her deep frustration, listen, in her deep anger. I've had it out with God sometimes. I've had it out. I'm like, dude, look, gloves are off, bro. Let's go. We're getting in the run. We're wrestling. We're wrestling. I'm sick of this. I need, some, I need some answers. I need some understanding. I need some peace. I need to figure this out. Where are you? What are you doing? What is going on here? And you know what? God is never angry at that. He can handle it. In fact, 
He wants it. The Psalms are littered. They are littered. They are full. They are chock full of humanity expressing in human language its absolute worst and its deepest pain. That's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are not cute. Right? Cute Christianity is a false Christianity. God's not expecting you to come and put yourself together. And here's the thing. We know how to pour out our soul to everybody else but God. We know how to pour out our soul on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Post, post, repost, repost, link, 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 post, post, repost. What, dude? What, seriously? We know how how to pour out our soul to our girlfriends over margaritas or to our buddies over cigars. We know how to pour out our soul to our spouse in the bedroom. But we don't know how to pour out our soul to God. Guys, we got to learn how to do this. You got to get deep and ugly and raw and painful. And I told first server this, and I'm going to tell you this. I want you to get deeply acquainted and comfortable with your snot. Because until, listen, until you've got snot pouring down your mouth and dripping off your chin, and you ain't got to, and all the Kleenexes are already, we need more Kleenex boxes around here, Martha. Until that happens, I don't, I don't really know if you've gone in certain places in God that he wants to take you to. That's Christianity. That's faith. That's life in God. And the world sees our plastic facade, and the world, see, the world sees us trying to put everything together. And why are you drinking so much? And oh, do you have tattoos? And bleh. All the while, we're just ignoring. We're ignoring. We're excusing. We're avoiding. We're evading all of this deep brokenness inside of us that God is saying, come on, come on, bring it to me. Come close. Come close. My kids and I, we've been watching uh, across the Spider-Verse, into the Spider-Verse, across the Spider-Verse. It's fire, dude. It's so sick. And there's these scenes in both movies where Miles Morales' dad, he's this big old massive cop, and he's, he's, it's, it happens in both. He's sitting on the outside of, I just see it. It just kills me. He's sitting on the outside of Miles' door. In both of these scenes, Miles is inside his bedroom, and you can just tell the boy, he's distraught. He's broken, he's confused, he's angry, he's frustrated, he doesn't know how to articulate his heart to his dad. He's got this massive weight of responsibility because where great power comes, comes great responsibility. Ha, 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 he's Spider-Man, guys, he's Spider-Man. Wow. <laughs> and you just see Miles' dad out there saying, God, son, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. And one of the greatest pains that I have as a dad is when I know something's going on with my kids and they won't let me in. And I'm here to tell you today that the Father just wants you to let him in. Just wants to let you in. He's not trying to fix you. He's not trying to shortcut the process of healing. Come on up, Seth. Right? No one, listen to me, no one can dictate the process or the timeline of your healing journey. Don't let him try. He's just saying, I want to hold you. I want to be in the room with you. I want to bring you in close. I want to cry with you. I want to sit in the emergency room with you. I don't want to be in the waiting room. I want to be right on the bedside with you. I want to be with you. I want to hear every ugly, vitriolic word that you want to spew out, and I want to take it all inside of me. And when you're done and you've got it all out of your system, I want to love you. I'm not going to judge you because you're angry. This is your father. This is our God. This is who he is. And this is what faith in God looks like. And this is the foundation of Israel's dynasty of kings.
It's a woman on the outskirts of marginalized, acceptable social society who is so desperate that she throws herself in to a God who meets her in the secret place. Guys, stand with me this morning. I had this feeling in worship there's a word Sadron gave me a couple of weeks ago that when I woke up this morning, it just, it hit me again. Sadron said, I felt like that we, there's, there's assignments that God has on our lives individually and there's an assignment on the house for this season, but that there are distractions. Like the enemy is bringing up all kinds of goofy little rich distractions, like just things like how many of you guys just had something break within the past couple of weeks that's taken your mental and financial energy, right? Can't sleep at night, right? Things that are going on, you're like, what is that? These things are just coming up out of the blue that feel like they just do not belong there. Fender benders, just distractions. The enemy is trying to get your mental focus and your emotional attention off of the assignment that God has for you right now. And so I want to pray into that. And the second thing that I want to pray into is I want to just, I want to pray a covering over you. I felt this in my spirit in in worship. I just felt like some of us, you know, my son got me playing this stupid game, robots attacking robots and whatnot. And there's this one robot, he's got a big old shield, but it doesn't cover his back. So when you're out there in the battlefield and you're just wrecking shop, you know, just throwing down like your back's not covered, and so you're getting like lit up in the backside. And I felt like some of us in this room, like we're getting hit up on the backside because our flank isn't covered. And if that's you, just throw your hands up really high today. Either of those two categories, like people talking about you, or you being blindsided by things, or you being distracted. And in the name of Jesus, I pray a holy hedge of protection around your life. And I pray a divine covering over you. And I pray right now, that there would be walls and borders and boundaries that are saturated in the blood of the Lamb that surround your life, that God would be a fortress and a foundation to you, that God would fight your battles, that God would cover your back, and that he would get your six. I pray right now that every painful thing that you've experienced here, particularly recently in this season, that God would draw near and that he would give you the perspective of heaven. I pray that God would heal the pace, the places in your heart that are still hurting, that have not been fully healed, that have not been fully submitted to the healing hand of God, I pray that God would draw in near every word that needs to be ripped out of you. Oh, I pray that God would silence and break every word curse, every limiting word of identity that is spoken over you. I pray that abandonment and neglect and victimization and violation and abuse would be lifted off of you, that God would sit right in the middle of that place of your story, and he would speak to you comfort and grace and life and strength and peace and protection. May the Lord cover you, church. May the Lord surround you. May he surround you with songs of deliverance. I pray you'd sing again and pray again and believe again and trust again and hope again in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, the Father loves you. I feel the Father's love for you. Friends, he loves you so deeply.
cares about you. I want to invite you to come to the table. We're going to experience this together. Holy Spirit of the living God, do in bread and cup what none of us can do. Do something by the power of your spirit and meet us at the table, I pray in Jesus' name. You can exit on your left. Come on up, receive the bread, receive the cup, and we'll eat and drink together. This is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now, give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. My life lay down, I surrender now, give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Cause you're all I want Cause you're all I've ever needed Cause you're all I want Help me know you Oh, 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 oh,
of you who are not very well familiar with the story of the gospel, God sent his one and only son, Jesus. Right in the middle of humanity's brokenness and pain, right in the middle of the catastrophe that we made with the beautiful world that God created, God sent his son, his most precious, most valuable possession. And Jesus teaches us in his death and in his crucifixion at the hands of unjust people. Jesus teaches us how to pour out our soul and present our anguish to God and how to intercede right in the middle of that pain. When Jesus hangs on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. Friends, you need to know the disposition of the Father towards you is always forgiveness. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. There's no legalistic hoops for you to jump through. You don't have to read your Bible in a year. The Father's disposition towards you is come close because I'm already here. I've come close to you. You are already forgiven. You don't have to wait to be forgiven. You don't have to pray the perfect prayer to be forgiven. So this is the gospel. God loves you. God sent his son for you. God died for you. He took all of the consequences of your poor decisions on himself. His arms are open wide and there's nothing else you have to do but say yes. He'll take it from there. He knows what to do from here. It's yes. So I want us all to pray this before we come to the table. Just pray this with me. Say, God, I surrender and I repent. Have mercy. Forgive me and save me. Heal me by your son, Jesus. I receive it by faith. Amen. There it is. Take it, guys. Run with that. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, staring right in the eyes of his betrayer, the guy who was going to set off the chain reaction of his unjust death, here's what Jesus did. He took bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body. And it's going to be broken brutally for every single one of you. And I lay my body down so that you can be whole and that you can be healed. So in the name of Jesus, church, this is the body of Christ. It's broken for you. So take and receive. And then he took this cup. And when you hold this cup, I want you to hold your pain. Because in your pain is the pain of Jesus. Real, literal, physical blood spilled out of his pores and his capillaries, and his skin was lacerated, and the blood of God poured out of a human being for your redemption. Sons and daughters of the Most High God, beloved, beautiful ones, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Come out of bondage, come out of prison, come out of self condemnation. You are forgiven because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Let us receive the cup. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord today like we believe it. I'm so grateful. Let's sing a doxology to the Lord, strong and proud.
Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord surround you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cover you. May the Lord fight for you. May the Lord pour his favor out on you. May the Lord send you out into your world, your city, your spaces, your families, your neighbors, your enemies, your friends. And may he send you with the authority of heaven going behind you and before you. And may he empower you to fulfill your kingdom assignment in the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you guys. Love you so much.